Hi, my name is Jada Edwards, and this month on the Jada Edwards Podcast, we're going to be talking about all things dating. So in this first episode of Two, we'll be talking about covering, making wise choices, living in community, and all the things that we need to know for healthy relationships. We'll even touch a little bit on the idolatry of marriage. So if you like what you hear, make sure you share and subscribe. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, all podcast platforms. Hope you enjoy. I think it's really important uh, that we date um, as wisely and intentionally as possible. It can't be done perfectly, but it can be done wisely. And it can be intentional and it can be done in community. And what's interesting is that uh, for those of you <clears throat> that are not familiar with uh, the ministry Conway and I did before we started, one, it was singles ministry. That's what we did at our last, our last church. And it was, I mean, it was just a joy. And we, we wrote a book out of that ministry, which many of you have already read, When Love's in View. And it kind of gave a framework for dating because those are the questions we were getting all of the time. And so I think it's important to have these conversations before you get in a relationship and probably to undo some thinking that you may have had uh, through the course of life. But before we get into it, I just want to say a quick word about I do think that also in our culture today, we wrestle with the idolatry of marriage. And the thing is, if an idol obviously is anything that has become more important than God in your life. And I think because our culture, and I'm not talking about the Christian culture, I'm talking about society. It's not like only Christians are getting married. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, the rate of Christians intermarrying is higher than it's ever been. Uh, other groups, uh, Mormons, uh, people who are from the, the, the Islamic religions, Jews, their, their rate has stayed the same. But people who claim to be Protestant, their intermarrying rate or their willingness to marry people outside of their faith is on a high trajectory. And I think it's because we've, idol we've idolized what marriage really is. And the question that needs to frame all these other things is, if the thought of never being married does something that's unsettling to you, you need to wrestle with that. Because otherwise, you're just adding tools to a very unhealthy toolkit. And so you have to be like, this is not some promotion or some better season. It's just different. Uh, what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, if you're unmarried or widow, it's better for you to remain as I am. If you're married, remain as you are. He was like, hey, whatever God does, God does. And so there's not like, it's not, being single is not a starter home. It's not your first job. It's it's where you are, and and there's 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 we get so wrapped up in phases and seasons and how we define progress and forward movement, and it's just based on lies. And so I I do want us to have this discussion, but I need us to to understand that a lot of times our anxiety or even our curiosity is not God driven. It's it's because the marriage and the idea of being with someone has become God. Um, so we need to be okay if that status never happens. And if you start to feel anxiety or you're wrestling with jealousy every time somebody gets engaged or every time you see that, that's an issue. That's bigger than knowing how to date well. <laughs> like, that's an issue because you're saying, God, the way you designed my life today is not enough. And that's bigger than approaching relationships with wisdom. And so I want us to really be, be okay with getting that in our head and, and understanding that something's not gonna be better if you, if you get married, if God allows you to, you to be married. Um, and as a matter of fact, what's gonna happen is there's the deception of met desire, and it only happens once. Soon as you want that, you want that thing, and soon as God does it, and maybe in his grace he allows it, maybe that's his plan for you, I promise you, 
you're not going to spend the next 30 years of your marriage grateful that you got married. <laughs> you're going to be wanting the next thing. And then children will be an idolatry. Then the house will be an idol. And then private school will be an idol. And then vacation becomes an idol. Then retirement becomes an idol. Then the college your kids get in. It's always something. And so if it's not contentment now, it's not, it's not going to be contentment ever. You got to know that God is enough. Because the lie is that when I get married, I'm somehow complete. I'm somehow better. I'm somehow not lonely. I'm somehow sexually fulfilled. I somehow have somebody. Talk to married people. I mean, not the ones that walk around smiling, holding hands, and they serve one. I'm talking about the ones that are going to tell you the truth. You can be in the bed with somebody and be lonely. You can be in a marriage and not be having sex. You can be married and they don't have anything in common with you. Or maybe y'all are in the season. Guess what? A parent gets ill. Your finances change. Listen, it, it, now you're just attaching yourself to somebody else's whole life. <laughs> and so I don't want us to believe this lie that, that somehow that's an upgrade or some improvement. Because if God allows marriage or if that's his plan for you, you have to accept it however he brings it. So when he brings that person that gets a chronic illness five years into your marriage, still be glad. Remember how badly you wanted it. <laughs> when he brings that person and all of a sudden their parents need to move in with y'all because someone's ill, or you're married and life is great and then your child dies at eight months, let me tell you, life doesn't just suddenly get better because you're married. And so that's my little platform because I do want to talk about this, but not like it's the solution to life. <laughs> it's just a good framework for if God chooses to bring someone across your path that, that's worthy of dating and maybe marrying. Okay, does that make sense, y'all? Okay. All right. Y'all ready? Who got my first question? <laughs> my well, um, I have a follow-up question to what you just said. So what if someone... <laughs> <laughs> what if someone does start to notice they do have that anxiety, right? Or it has become this ever-present um, want. It's more than, you know, I'm praying for this, but it's like, if I don't have this, where's my worth, right? Um, what, what do they do then? Well, number one, don't be surprised if God holds it back. Um, and not because of punishment, but uh, because of priority. He doesn't, he's not going to give you something that he already knows is, is beating him out for first place. And so there's things that in grace God withholds from us. And number two, you have to check your own heart. I mean, I'll probably say this many times, but, you know, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, near the end of that, when David is saying, search my heart. I mean, I need you to find the anxious thoughts in me, God, because I may be convincing myself that I'm real chill. And I'm cool. I'm over it now. I know whatever the Lord said. Uh-huh. And then... Then you get another uh, tag on somebody's post. I said, yes. Yeah. You're like, oh, God, I quit cussing this year. What's up? Why can't I get? Oh, I quit wearing my jeans so tight. God, why can't get no? I quit cheating. I, I start being faithful, Lord. Why can't? And you start asking God. You start throwing out your resume like, I'm less trifling. Why can't I not get somebody, Lord? How he got somebody? We know he a mess. You know, so it's because you got to check your own heart. You, we will tell ourselves that we cool and we really have zero chill on it when God decides not to do it. Um, and in that, that is not just dating. That's anything. That's the Christian life. You know, David wouldn't like search my heart on dating. <laughs> he was like, search my heart. And so that's a constant question that you have to have before the Lord because anything that is creating anxiety in us has probably become an idol in some form because that means that thing has to be present in a certain condition for us to have peace. So it means it's, it's, that means we need that more than the man who is, who is peace, right? So you, you have to always ask yourself, 
and, and ask God to just show you. I promise you, he'll show you. It's not a secret. He'll be like, I've been waiting on you to ask. And then he will show you the things that, that you are making too much of. Yeah. Even as we're kind of thinking through the idolatry of marriage and asking the Lord to search our own heart as we're thinking through dating, I guess it's probably a common question just for, for us is, hey, when, when do we know that we're ready? To, to date or enter into a dating relationship. So yeah. just wisdom on that. Yeah, I think knowing that you're ready is obviously subjective. You know, it's like knowing if you're ready to parent. I really do believe that, <clears throat> and again, I'm going to frame this up. I'm going to do my best to give you guys uh, good wisdom. But the thing is, I don't think anybody's ready for marriage ever. <laughs> so it's like, how do I become the most ready based on what I can control? Because I really believe that, you know, God veils a lot of things that if we knew what we were walking into, we wouldn't do it. He knew he, you don't listen after that honeymoon is up and you just got bills and you got to deal with each other and all the hot sex wears off after a couple of years and whatever. And now you got, I mean, listen, he's like, that's why I didn't tell you. I <laughs> Just let you get excited for a little while. Same thing with parenting. You're like, oh, my God. But then you're like, oh, my God. About to put y'all on the porch. And so um, I think that readiness can be subjective. But the best thing that we can do is, you know, set those guardrails in place. And that really has a lot to do with our own spiritual growth. I did not say spiritual maturity because we get hung up on that, but our growth, what's the trajectory, what path are you on? Are you moving forward? Are you where you were six months ago, where you were a year ago? You still got the same pain from childhood. Like those things, they'll never be completely avoided because we're not perfect, but we need to make sure we're on a good path. And, and we can do our own self-check, but community really makes a big difference in that. To have people say, I see growth in you. Um, I see forward progress in you. Because a lot of times, if you, if you haven't unpacked your own baggage, um, and then you invite new baggage, somebody else's baggage, I mean, love covers it for a while, but then at the end of the day, y'all still got 10 suitcases worth of stuff that needs to be dealt with. And so um, I think being on a good path, being on a good track, and then having that affirmed by people that you trust who are godly people, um, and you know whether they're counselors or leaders or ministers or whatever, and then your peers, your community as well. I think they, you got good folks around you, they'll, they'll tell you. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. What is the difference between spiritual maturity and spiritual, what was the other word you used? Growth. 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 Yeah. yeah, so growth is our forward progress, right? Maturity is various points along that progress. And so I can, I can be on my way to Houston, right? And I pass various cities on the way there. And so I, I might be at Centerville. I'm from Texas, so we drive to Houston all the time. I might be at Centerville, which is halfway. Somebody might be in Corsicana, which is only 30 minutes outside of Dallas. We're both on a growth track, and, and I'm more concerned about if next year, even if I'm still in Centerville and they've moved from Corsicana up, it don't matter that I am further along now. They're growing. So eventually, they're going to pass me. So sometimes we get hung up on this badge of honor of maturity, and that's just a point on the path to growth. And so you need to be more concerned about the growth. I've seen people who get saved, receive the Lord, get disciple, and they own some crazy stuff for God a year later, doing huge things. And we know people who have walked with the Lord 20 years, and you're like, what you doing? You make God look sad. He ain't changed your life. So it's, it's not, maturity is important, but that's not the goal. Growth is the goal, and then maturity will happen. And so I think that understanding that we're not assessing who's where, 
we're assessing, are we both running in the same direction? Because I've seen God take men who are young in the Lord and serious about their discipleship and growth and lead women who've been walking with the Lord 20 years. It's fine. God's going to give them what they need if they're growing. So it's not, are we in the same city? Is are we on the same highway? <laughs> and moving forward, because then I, then I think the Lord can work through that. Yeah. Direction. Same direction. Yeah. Um, okay, so we hear a lot about um, when women are in dating relationships with men that they should guard their hearts or the man should guard their heart. What really, can you unpack that? What What is that? Yeah, and that's, that's for men and women. I mean, we tend to lean on that mostly for women um, because, because there's a stereotype that men recover or manage emotional pain differently. I don't know if that's always true. So I think everybody needs to guard their heart. Um, and that just means being wise about how you allocate your emotional investment. Be wise about how you allocate your emotional investment. Now, emotional investment might not be that, oh, I told him I love him. You, you think about those big milestones. I'm talking about frequency of communication how integral they become in your life. Is that the first person you call in the morning and the first person you tell? That kind of stuff is what can get you in trouble. And the more you give people access to you, the less guarded you're gonna be, right? So it's hard to keep somebody out of the building that has a key card. I've given them access. <laughs> so you can't, if I'm guarding the building, it can't be against people who have access. It gotta be people who don't have access, which means that yes, there's some space you can be in. You can be in the parking lot, courtyard, we can talk out there. Let me meet you out there. But right in here, this is access only. And that access happens at the altar. <laughs> so so before then, because when, if this doesn't work out, is I'm not going to have 10 people walking around that's been in my building. I'm not. I'm like, no. And it's not just sex. It's in my heart. I don't want five people walking around that know my dreams. I don't want five people walking around that know the pain I had with my mom. I'm like, that's personal. So it's not a perfect line, but... That's why I say community is so important and, and a lot of prayer because sometimes it'll seem trivial to you because you're a talker and you're just a sharer and this is how I talk. I talk all the time. I tell people everything. And and this is a situation where you're like, I know you talk freely to all these people and your friends, but in this relationship, you need to be wise about what you're saying because you're giving of yourself to someone. And it is almost, it's practically impossible to give of ourselves, allow that much access and not expect something in return. See, our friends and our family are already giving us something in return. They're in our lives forever. We fight, we make up, all that stuff. But when it gets to a romantic relationship, we're expecting some kind of payoff because we've invested our emotions. And so that, that managing emotional allocation is hard. And I'm telling you, I didn't always do it right, but we finally got to a point where we were like, all right, it's 10 o'clock. It's time to hang up the phone because all they falling asleep on the phone and waking up, and, uh, it's too much. It was just too much. And, and Conway and I didn't do it perfect, but we started to learn some of those boundaries. He got so mad at me because <laughs> he wanted me to cook for him. Um, and, uh, you know, he was like, well, I just want you to cook for me. I was like, you trying to try before you buy? If I can't cook, then I just can't cook. We're going to find some good restaurants, you know? So I was messing with him. But he's like, no, seriously. And I was like, no, seriously. <laughs> So it was funny because there are a lot of people where that's not a big deal. So I'm not even saying cooking is a hard line. I'm saying for me, cooking is personal. 
So I didn't even want to be like, what's your favorite, whatever. I just wasn't there. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to know that. And I don't care. And I don't want you, this is personal. I don't want to be thinking about you at that level. I'm trying to prepare something for you. <laughs> it's just like, it was so weird for me. And so the first time I cooked for him was the night he asked my father for my hand in marriage. And I already knew where he was. Now, that might not be a line for everybody, but for me, Cooking is a love language. Like, it's a personal thing for me to be thinking of this person and what they like and da-da-da. And I just, I just wasn't trying to go there. And, and that's not to say I hadn't done that before, but I, I'd learned some things, you know, and he had too. So I think if you're constantly asking God to search your heart, I know this going to sound like a broken record, and, and having good people around you, you will start to see little things that seem trivial to someone else. And you're like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that, you know? So I think guarding your heart is saying, how do I manage my emotional investment without being distant, you know, just just being wise, you know? And and that will show up in a lot of smaller ways than than what you might be expecting. Good. Um, so you kind, you kind of mentioned growth, right, and spiritual growth, right? So for, for the young adult that might be single, that might have an idea of dating, right, what are, what are the ways in which we can grow now in our singleness to maybe when once we get into a dating relationship we kind of fulfill prepared for that so we're just ways in which we can grow now as we're single so i think um the way you grow as a single is the way you grow as a person and as a christian (laughs) so i i caution against trying to focus in on some goal-driven or relationship-driven growth because it just needs to be growth. What what makes you a, a good person, and I mean good by God's standards, makes you a holy person, a righteous person, is going to make you a good spouse. Um, I, I think one of the challenges, what, what I had, and I would have said I loved the Lord and was growing, but I still, there were still areas of my life that because I had good friends and family, I didn't have my friends, I got married young. I was 25. And so we, we hadn't quite figured out how to really check each other and hold each other accountable. And so I think when I got married and I realized that maybe I'm not as giving as I thought I was, you know, and I called my mom. She was like, you are the most giving person. I was like, bye, mama. I know. Thank you. But clearly I'm not because this person (laughs) says I'm not. Um, But when I look back, that really wasn't a marriage issue. That was, once I went and talked to my friends, they were like, you could be kind of a little bossy. Why y'all didn't tell me? Because friends are like, that's just how she is, but that's my girl, right? They know you love her, you love them, blah, blah, blah. But truly, in your friendships, you can ask your friends right now what you need to be working on. They know. They haven't told you. Maybe they've told you in a nice way, but they just be like, well, you know, sometimes, you know. So they have an answer. No, no real friend that you have. If you ask them what do I need to work on, they're like, I don't know. Let me think about that. They're going to be like, how many do you want? Because <laughs> first of all, you're always late. Second of all, you always change your mind. I mean, they're going to tell you. And so those areas of growth relationally, okay, if you're separating from spiritual growth, spiritual growth, we know, you know, all the disciplines, reading, devotion, solitude, prayer, all that. But the relational growth is not going to be different as a friend and a person and a daughter and a son as, than it would be as a spouse. So a lot of those things, we just don't do that work in our friendships and in our family relationships because those things we take for granted, they're not leaving. Um, but if we did the work there, uh, then I think it would really set us up for greater success. It's one of the reasons why we really used to push and still push for singles to have roommates because the roommates will show you your junk. 
They're like, listen, why you got these batteries taking up my refrigerator space? What is wrong with you? And you're like, everybody puts their ketchup under the sink. You're like, what? You know, so it's just stuff that if you live by yourself or with people who know you and get you all the time, roommates will, roommates will show you, you know, and you'll be like, am I kind of, do I kind of sulk when I don't get my way? Yes. Because you went and then closed your door and I ain't seen you since in two days, you know. So that's what you're going to do when your spouse get on your nerves. And so it's those little things, whether it's kind of forced community or you taking the initiative and just asking people, hey, what, what do you, what's some feedback from What do you think I could really kind of lean into? And you need to be willing to hear what they say um, and pray about it. And I guarantee you it's going to be the same thing that's going to show up in, in any other relationship, including marriage. Yeah. That's good. Okay, so you're you're working on yourself. You're growing um, relationally too. Then you is it is it ever okay for a woman to approach a man if she sees someone she likes? Can you talk to me about that? And then like some red flags. I'm sure y'all got questions. Oh, someone said yes. Okay, so yes, we want to know. Um. So. Back up, turn back up. Y'all know y'all seen the Instagram where the, the girl is on the floor, not on the floor, but bending on one knee, and she's asking a man. Y'all ain't seen that? Okay, they seen it, so please. So, at the risk of sounding really old school, um, but what I believe is biblical, I'm going to say no. And I, and I say this not because women aren't worthy and smart and don't know what they want. I'm saying God created our relationships and all of creation in an order. And we already know, based on Genesis 3, what happens when we're out of order. Not because we're not smart, not because we're not. If he's passive and you have to do the initiating, he will always be passive and you will always do the initiating which means you're establishing the relationship out of order you're you're trying to say i'm just gonna lead a little bit and then somehow when we're going 70 miles an hour i'm gonna switch to the passenger side and you're gonna drive and we're not gonna get in an accident it doesn't make sense it doesn't make sense it is very hard work not impossible because god is gracious and he's forgiving he knows we're dumb he knows it he knows Come on, he knows it. He, he calls us sheep, so he knows it. He knows we're a little. He knows we're a little special. Um, so thank the Lord. Uh, so, so he can he can do it. I've seen God mend that, but that is painful hard work. Painful hard work to try at some point to switch the leadership role, and then it becomes unfair because even though a woman is capable of leading. She's not called to lead her husband, and she's going to be frustrated. And then, because she brought him in under one condition, you don't have to lead, I got it. And then it's gonna change her expectation. You know what's gonna happen. He's gonna be like, why, why is what I'm doing that wrong? It's been good for a while. I like my life. I bet you do. <laughs> I bet you do. And she liked it at first because it accomplished a goal. But then because, because what, what God creates us for and, and calls us to is not a, not a part of our capability, right? Women are capable of doing a lot of things they're not called to do. And so when you're, when you're living outside of calling, that's not just purpose. Living outside of your called divine design, it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And so then eventually you're gonna get tired 
and everybody's frustrated. And now you're expecting him to be something through in the middle of the relationship that you didn't expect from the beginning. And it's unfair. It's unfair. When we could have said, you know, I don't have to be married anyway. I trust the Lord. And I would rather wait and really have the peace of the Lord than to try to fast forward a passive man into some kind of forced leadership and then expect him to figure it out somewhere along the way. Just back up. Let the Lord develop him as a leader and and let him figure it out. And by the way, that's not a personality issue. That doesn't mean he's going to always have the right things to say or know everything. But he's going to know how to take initiative. You know, I mean, companies don't have to knock on a man's door and say, please come work for us. They know how to go to an interview and prepare themselves and get ready. So I'm like, I believe when men want something, when they're decided to do something, they do it. They do it. That's, I believe that, regardless of his temperament. I've seen men do it who are shy, who are new in the Lord, who are unsure. Who, it doesn't matter. When they're ready for the thing, they don't put on their suit and sit on their couch and wait for somebody to show up. They go get it. And so you need to get God. That's what you need. You don't go get it for the ladies. Just get God. Let him do it. That's the, that's the new version of he who finds a wife. <clears throat> yeah, get God. So, yeah, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of that. And I know that doesn't mean you're going to end in divorce. And I'm, it, Listen, I'm not making any prophecies. I'm saying, is it the wisest, healthiest way to approach? I don't think so. And I think you end up doing a lot of work later on on the back end to try to make it healthy. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, what about red flags, though? Red flags in both man and woman. Yeah, I think they're the same. I think, um, well, this the idea of calling, you know, and just knowing who you're created to be, I think is so huge because everything in culture is speaking something usually opposite or opposed to what to how God has created us, how he's designed us. And so, uh, you know, the, I love the story of the Bible, um, especially the Old Testament, because it shines light on the New Testament, and it shows you nothing is new under the sun. I, I go to Genesis 3 a lot because that's the first time you see disruption of order. And, and, and basically, you, you have animal speaking to woman, making decision for man, and then God comes into the picture. And so what should have happened in order <laughs> was that God spoke to man, he led woman, they rule the animals, right? So anytime you see that disruption, um, that's a red flag. So I think for women who don't feel 100% confident, like they can kill the game and still be submitted, that's a red flag. That they all that you have to be competitive, and I have to, and you gotta, we gotta have equal say in what I say goes. What you say, listen. If he's godly, because he needs to be submitted to the Lord. Yes, y'all are equal, but y'all have different roles. <laughs> so you cannot, like my father-in-law told me, because I didn't quite get that. My father-in-law called, told me he was like daughter, because y'all know my husband is Jamaican. There cannot be two bulls in the bullpen, and I was like, why? Why not? <laughs> I'm smart. <laughs> so he's like, I know, but God is smarter. Uh, so it's, I think, understanding calling. And, and I think I understood it in concept, you know, enough <laughs> for us, the Lord, to allow us to be married. But I think that's something I've had to work out and really find my, my footing in that. And the same thing for men, calling as a leader um, doesn't mean domineering, doesn't mean type A personality, doesn't mean you run the show, doesn't mean you make all the decisions. It means you bear the weight of the responsibility of the health of the relationship. It's, leadership is weight bearing. Okay, it's not overbearing. <laughs> it's not like opinions, do what I say, and well, I'm the leader, and you need to submit to me. If, if you have to declare that you're the leader, you're not leading. And if you have to tell her she needs to submit, 
she's not going to do it. You got to have people who already know that's what they're supposed to be doing. People who submit as unto the Lord, which means when we're going down that highway, he turns right, talking about that's the way to Houston. And I know it's not, but it's not a sin issue. It's a preference issue. We're going to take this loop. We're going to sit on this loop. There was a time where I would have been like, my GPS is this. This is why, what kind of godly person takes a right? I mean, it just becomes a whole thing. And now I just sit there and I just sit there. And then about 20 minutes in, it's just, you know what? And I say, you know what? I think we might should have taken that left back there. And um, I've had to learn that. I've had to learn that. But, but that, I feel comfortable in that space now. And I think that's a huge thing uh, for us to feel comfortable in our calling. So for men who, who feel, even if you're doing it scared, but you know that God's called me to lead. God has called me to bear responsibility, to, to bear the weight of um, accountability as, as an overseer and a protector. And for women to feel like, gosh, this help thing is significant, you know? And, and know that it's significant, y'all. Um, because if you don't believe the role that God's called you to is significant, you will forever be trying to fight it. Just know it's significant. Literally, I, I joke around sometimes and I'm saying, you know, you had all these days passed where God separated the earth and the waters and the heavens and the earth and the animals. And Adam came on the scene and it was like, I, I'm just going to guess it's about five minutes where the Lord was like, mm, we need a helper. We need a helper. And it had nothing to do with him. It was how quickly God said two are better than one. And so it's when it comes to this marriage thing, right? And it's not that two are better than one person. It's if two are going to be together, they need to be unified. That's better than two individuals trying to live together. And so this that unity piece is huge. Who am I called to be? It's okay. Um, that calling is huge. And, all, and I would say the other red flags would be like humility, uh, teachability, someone who always argues they're never wrong, they can't ever see themselves. Um, that's, that's a huge thing. And then I would say community because I believe that isolation and being like, I'm not a people person, I don't have a lot of friends, and you don't need a lot of friends, but you need one or two somebodies that can speak truth into your life. And so those are probably my big ones. The calling piece seems to be really big because people really wrestle with that. Um, and then, you know, just other Christian principles, humility, integrity, all that good stuff. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, make sure and leave a comment or review and share and subscribe. Have a great one.